On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are spanning generations in Pachinko on Apple, getting all hot under the corset over at Netflix for Bridgerton Season 2, and finally getting to meet Eagly, Judo Master, Vigilante and the gang as John Cena dons the kettle helmet once more for Peacemaker on Skymax. I'm James Dyer, kind of. And welcome to our horse episode of the Pilot TV podcast. As you may have guessed or noticed slightly, uh, I've lost my voice. Uh, so answering the rather fervent prayers of my colleagues, I was rendered mute for pretty much this whole week, uh, completely unable to talk, uh, leaving everyone at Pilot and Empire free of James Blaining for five long days. Uh, Boyd and Beth, I guess you can consider that respite my pre-Easter gift to you, if you will. I mean, it really is the the mark of an ego, egomaniac that you wouldn't just let one of us host for one week. You're just like gripping in there with your talents. <laughs> like, no, no, I'd rather this be a middling hosting gig than pass over the mic to anybody yeah, else in this that's instance. Right. Semi-coherent <laughs> is what it's going to be. I'm not quite sure what I sound like a little bit. I'm like... <laughs> It's, it's I think very it's gone from earlier in the week when um, I saw you in the Empire office. I felt it was like it had a little like sexy, you know, kind of horse <laughs> thing going on. But now the I think it's just gone a bit sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was safe beginning of the week. Statham was put yeah. up multiple times, and now it is a little bit like deathbed, death rattle, James. Yeah, it's deathbed. It is death rattle. <laughs> death yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's like amazing. Yeah, amazing. this could be my final podcast. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Tony Hopkins on his deathbed in some kind of like you know <laughs> depressing period drama. Sophie, yes. uh, Sophie Butcher from our office uh, volunteered that it could be that the dark side of the force is twisting me as it did Senator Palpatine, and this is now what I'm going to sound like. Yeah, you know? yeah. Unlimited yeah. power. <laughs> I also feel like it's a wasted quite... episode for this. Like I really because these are these are shows you will and I'm just gonna assume here you are gonna be pretty quiet on apart from Peacemaker. I mm, do wish it was mm. a real, you know, Star Trek Vikings like orgy episode <laughs> where you wouldn't you would be rendered yeah. mute for the whole thing and Boyd and I would have to spend the whole time talking about how shit the expanse is. And I'd just be sitting there fuming silently, unable to <laughs> articulate it. Oh, God. I mean, what was a cure for losing your voice? Because genuinely, I thought when you lost your voice, it was like a day. It's been a week. Like, what is happening? <laughs> genuinely. So this is the thing that happened. I ran into someone in a pub uh, who came in and said, oh, hello, I'm a fan of the podcast. And I was just like, hi, I can't speak. Hello. Like, it was just, I, it was probably awkward. Couldn't even, I'm couldn't feeling even better, by the I mean, way. I'm not going to a pub. Me who had COVID. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling well. Thanks for asking, yeah. James. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So, thanks so much. I'm on the mend. But no, let's let's do let, let's do lean into your slightly raspy voice over the front yeah, line. That's it. This rendered. Beth, you had a brush with death, and I am just unable to speak. But I am the victim here, and that is the important thing. And we should dwell on that. Do you know what though? Even after the week I had last week. When I came onto it, because I didn't know who you'd gotten to replace me, because it was all quite last minute. When I came <laughs> on and I saw Terry's DIY fringe pop up on my Twitter feed, I was so. Do you know, I was like, do you know what? This is worth it. This is worth everything I've been through this past yeah. week to have Terry come on <laughs> and cut her own fringe Terry's, on the podcast. I, I love Ter it. Terry's DIY Twitter fringe co-hosted the podcast last week. Very successful. Yeah. It was yeah. amazing. It was yeah. genuinely it was amazing. amazing. I was so happy when I saw that. <laughs> so happy. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> are you are you still Covey? Are you are you over it? Are you cured? Do you know what? I had my first negative test yesterday. Yes. It was a long it was a long spell. It was about a week, a week and a bit. Um but yeah, 
negative yesterday and the first thing I did was go to the corner shop. That's been my fantasy since I've had it, it was just to go to Live the, the corner dream, shop. Beth. Live the dream. Aww. I really did. It was St. Patrick's Day yesterday, so I went and I got me some Guinness from the corner shop and that was my my sort of reintroduction to the world. It was it was joyful. It was perfect. Guinness, that might be good for a lost voice. I don't know. Can you gargle Guinness? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> you can't even disgusting. Worth a try. Is, <laughs> no. is like, oh, you should gargle salt water. Why? Like, how's that going to help? Genuinely. Yeah. I've been in the sea. Yeah. I'm not gargling that shit. No. No. I think lemon and honey. Lemon oh, and honey, no. isn't that what you're supposed to have? Or like whiskey, yeah. lemon and honey? And not hosting like podcasts, maybe? Yeah. 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 Not going Rest to your voice, I believe, was one of the things people said. Yeah. yeah. I mean, And I did have the moment, there was the moment in the week where um, we all knew James James has lost his voice and everyone was like feeling sorry and hoping that he'd get back, back together. And I, and I strolled into the Empire office and he was holding forth literally droning on to anyone who would listen, chattering away as if, like, just conserve your voice, you know, for a start. That's the first <laughs> thing you do if you're losing your voice. Don't don't just kind of drone on endlessly about the expanse of <laughs> everyone will listen in the middle of the Empire office for hours on end. That's true. For fuck's sake. That is true. We had some interesting... Discussion. I can So, look, we're in the office two days a week. I, I, I save up all the shit I need to bang on about all week for those two yeah. days. I yeah. can't mm. be in there and not mm. do it. Like, I, I need I need to get it out there. <laughs> it is... I do struggle to work when I'm in those two days because everyone is like a sort of litter of excitable puppies when they see each other, just sort of <laughs> bounding over each other, arguing about Star Wars. Um, <laughs> there's usually some sort of Encanto soundtrack of Ben Travis has anything to do with it. So yeah, it is exhausting, <laughs> but very exciting. Yeah, yeah it's nice. It's yeah. nice. I do like coming in and seeing everyone, you know, yeah. when I can speak. That's good. Nice. But okay, look, so what have we been talking about this week that I've not been able to participate in watching, talking. <laughs> what have you been doing with your voices that you have and I don't? <laughs> well, I've been locked down, mate, so I have not done very so much. So presumably tour. watched an awful lot of television. Did you catch up on The Wire? Have you been watching Battlestar Galactica? Have you been using this time that you've been blessed with, Beth? Yes, I have. Not for any of that shit, but <laughs> no, I'm joking. Could you imagine if I said that about The Wire? <laughs> the Wire is a load of old shit. I've been spending my time finally watching Better Call Saul um, no. because obviously the new season, the final season is upon us. I do have such a soft spot for Bob and Kirk. I loved Chris Hewitt's interview with him in the past issue of Empire. Um, so yeah, I've been catching up with that and obviously it's great. Obviously it's great. Usually I, it's with the case with the wire that I just know it's great and I know it's always going to be great. And it's not very pressing time-wise apart from people like James hounding me to watch it. Whereas <laughs> now I feel like with Better Call Saul, I have a deadline, like I have a hard deadline mm. for this if I want to be part of the kind of reactions that go along with the with the final season so i've been yeah i've been watching a lot of that where are you up to to? where are you up to so what's just happened bob's just had the court case against his brother that's been the big oh yeah oh god yeah you've got quite a lot to go yes yes i have in spite of mainlining it over the past week (laughs) i still have to get my act together and watch the rest of it by when is it april 6th i think it's out so i've got yeah that's i think so so I've got two weeks to watch, what, three seasons? Four seasons? Yeah, fine. <laughs> fine. Yeah. What are you going to do? Um, yeah. So that's been my big watch. Um, and then I... What else have I watched? I've had a, a big chunk. The, the shows we've watched this week are all quite long. So I've, I've obviously got through those. And then I finished uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel season three, which was lovely 
I think it took a long time to get to what it wanted to say in the final episode. Um, but it was just lovely. It was just a, like a big old expensive designer hug um, and lots of fan service for Gilmore Girls fans, which in my weakened state was was all I needed. A lot of Gilmore's cameos um, in it, which was very exciting. Um, it's, um, yeah. Can I just say Better Call Saul, Better Call Saul is actually April 18. In the US and 19 here. Oh, great. Oh, so I've got a month. Yes. All right. You've got, you, oh, yeah, got plenty of time. Yeah. Brilliant. That's useful. Um, so, yeah, that's been me. I have been watching a little show that um, we'll review properly next week, I think, I assume, called Hacks. Um, yes. The famous, yes. The show that has taken literally a year to arrive um, from HBO Max, which we'll review next week. So I won't go into it in any detail, but I have watched now the whole thing, all 10 episodes of series one, um, to write about it in uh, my other magazine, Heat. And yeah, I won't, I won't say anything, but it's not what I was expecting, I have to say. I didn't really, um, I was just aware of it being this really, this thing that ended up being a, a bit of a cultural phenomenon in America when I ended up winning loads of awards um, for its acting. Still winning and I think awards. It won best, still winning awards now, exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, so it was really interesting to catch up with it and full full review next week. I was also at a um, screening this time last week, last Friday, for Inside Number Nine. Um, they showed two episodes of the new series, and that was a fantastic. And in fact, at that event, talking of people coming up to you, James, I had uh, two lovely guys came up to me. And one of them was a huge fan of the podcast. And the other one said he'd been meaning to, to, to listen to the podcast. Obviously, so, so I've just, forgotten their names. Just to be clear, just to be clear, yeah. some people came up yeah. to you and someone said they've been meaning to listen to the podcast, but they haven't got around to it. This is yeah, your story. But his friend <laughs> was a huge fan of the podcast and said, you have to keep calling James a bell end. And he was great. And they were both really, really uh, nice. And it was lovely, yeah. But if I, obviously, I've forgotten their names because I forget everyone's name a minute after they tell me their name. So that was... They were in regulation. They both worked. They regulate things. So that was interesting. Yeah. That, that's that's what I made. When you said they were in regulation, I was like, is this a new streaming show? Is this on Paramount Plus? I haven't really heard of regulation. No, what is that? No. Sounds science fiction-y. I could get into that. They, but no, that's yeah. just a career. They, right. They regulate shit. Yeah, that's their career. Um, and inside, like it's, in it's, young it's, guns. it's kind of like hot. Exactly. Uh, as for Inside Number Nine itself, it was amazing to see these two episodes. Um, and I think it's already, this isn't news, it's already been announced, but Mark Gatiss is in one episode. So he's literally reunited with his legal gentleman colleagues for that episode, which is phenomenal. And the other episode, which is like a kind of like a Welsh rural take on the Wicker Man, is all I'd say, is <laughs> extraordinary without giving anything away. It is so daring. It's the most daring episode of Inside Number 9 yet. And considering oh this is, what, the seventh season series? Yeah, it's astonishing stuff. So that was great. And I wanted to mention the other thing I've watched, which I could do in um, other stuff, in our other stuff section right at the end, but I think it deserves to be up front, so I'm going to mention it now, is this thing called When Barbara, Then Barbara Met Alan, which is Jack Thorne wrote it, the incredibly um, prolific Jack Thorne with um, Genevieve Barr. And it's a one-off drama and I should have insisted we review it. I, I thought, because it's a one-off when, when it was announced as being on. So it's on Monday um, when the podcast comes out. And um, I thought I was going to be like a 90-minute thing. And, and uh, James 
just basically refuses to do one-off feature length, ninety-minute <laughs> things, yes, films, films. Mm. Yeah, but this isn't even ninety minutes. It's just it's it's just over an hour long. So I should have insisted. Well, it is don't even get me phenomenal. started on things that are seventy minutes this week. But anyway, yeah, carry all right, on. all right. <laughs> oh god, unbelievable! Yeah, one of the things we watched is seventy minutes. I think this is seventy minutes. Anyway, it's a, it's a drama based on a true story of two disabled rights activists, Barbara Lizitsky. Um, played by Ruth Madeley of Years and Years fame, um, and Alan Holdsworth, and they were like, um, they were they were kind of performers. She was like a comedian. He was a musician. He's played by Arthur Hughes, and it's the story of how they both kind of started the disabled rights movement in the early nineties, and they're the kind of. Um, the the catalyst for the whole thing is there used to be this telethon on ITV, which I remember watching as a kid. Well, watching, I mean, I wasn't even a kid. How was it? In 1990, I was, uh, I was, I was in my 20s, so it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but they had they used to have this telethon, annual telethon, to raise money for disabled people. And, and the whole kind, and it kind of... Um, irritated and offended disabled people because it kind of regarded them as victims and as people who needed charity. So they had this kind of like almost like mini revolution um, and they invaded the studio uh, one time when Mike Lasser was hosting the stuff and they've got and they incorporate the real footage of that happening with a dramatized version it's just really fascinating it's just and it just underlines how still how rare it is to see disabled people's stories told on tv in drama um and played by disabled people written by disabled people it's just incredibly rare um and it's and um Ruth Madeley is absolutely brilliant in it F- fantastic everyone is, is great in it and it's a really kind of it's funny it's raw and quite anarchic mirroring like the activists themselves. So that's, uh, I would urge everyone to watch it. Then Barbara McAllen, which is on, as you listen to this on Monday, is on uh, BBC Two tonight and on the iPlayer, of course. So yes, that's what I've been watching. Amazing. Exciting. Jack Thorne just doesn't rest, does he? Oh, just he's a great man. Yeah. 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 Non-stop. Yeah. Uh, what have I watched this week? So I finished The Last Kingdom, Utrid on Beben, but I won't tell you what happened at the end, but it was very exciting. Uh, and there's it's being wrapped up in a film. There's a Last Kingdom film, which they're shooting at the moment, which hopefully will come out next year. So there'll be even more Last Kingdom goodness, but we're going to be in a difficult situation, boy, because this really is a film. So there is no excuse to cover it on this podcast. Yeah. So I will be voiced <laughs> by my own petard. Um, uh, that's going to be quite a tricky one. But uh, Utrid will return yeah. for her last hurrah next year. Uh, what else have I watched this week? Obviously, Peacemaker, but we'll get onto that a little bit later. Uh, I've been watching episodes of Star Trek Prodigy for I may or may not be doing some kind of interview for that later today, which is going to be hilarious given that I can barely speak, but we'll see what happens with that. You'll perhaps enjoy listening to that at some point down the road. Um, and finally, I may or may not, but obviously haven't because it's not for ages, but there may or may not be a Bosch spin-off show called Bosch Legacy. Uh, and they may or may yes. not have provided screeners for said show. But obviously, had they done that, I wouldn't be able to talk about it because it would be embargoed. But, uh, yeah. Wow. Wow. Brilliant. Brilliant. And have you arranged that Bosch... <laughs> I mean, you've got to arrange that Bosch interview, haven't you? I want to hear you interviewing Titus. Oh, yes. Absolutely. We are 100%. Yeah. His face is his warrant, and it's always his warrant for this podcast. Absolutely, we must get Bosch on here. It's got to happen. Got to happen. You can never have too much Bosch. Never have too much. I mean, Bosch. we haven't even no. lost our voices, and we're just that's it. You're just, already exhausted. We're just um, not going to say. <laughs> yeah. Okay. True. Fabulous. Have you finished any shows that we should be mentioning? Is this the thing that, oh. that that yeah the finished shows section? Yeah. Has anything ended? I can't think. Yeah, Maisel. Well, Maisel, Maisel, you finished oh, yeah, Maisel. Maisel. Yeah. I yeah. finished yeah. Last Kingdom. You know I actually finished um, Joe versus um, Carol, the 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 exotic, the oh, Tiger did King. Oh, you now? 
think miniseries weirdly. Yeah, I got yeah, I got kind. Of, do you know what? It's I mean, it's massively flawed, um, and it's kind of exploitative as well, like blatantly so. You know of the you know of various elements of particularly I think of Carol's life, um, but it is really entertaining. It's really yeah. it's kind of relentlessly and, and it does. And there are there is stuff in it that I didn't know about, like from you know you think you know everything about the story having watched Tiger King on Netflix, the documentary series, but actually there's stuff about like their childhoods and it goes back into Joe Exotic's what happened to him when he was a kid and stuff, and about his relationships, his various relationships, his marriages to various guys, and you know at one point he was like seeing he was in a throuple basically, and the details of that are are interesting. So and um, John Cameron Mitchell. As is absolutely brilliant. That casting is so great. He's so perfect in that role that it, I, him alone almost makes it really worth watching. She's Gavin is brilliant um, as Carol as well, but it, James Cameron Mitchell is just extraordinary. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed that show and finished it. So I just I just Ooh. don't know what that show has to offer me. I'm only peripherally aware yeah. of what Tiger King was. I don't really know the story. <laughs> right. I'm not really interested. I know someone had a mullet. That's basically it. So <laughs> and there were tigers involved. Someone, no. you summed it up. Someone had a mullet is the alternative title <laughs> of uh, Joe versus Carol. Yeah, I forgot Amazing. how somehow you managed to avoid the massive pop culture phenomenon yeah. that is Tiger yeah. King. Yeah, yeah at the start of lockdown when there was like literally nothing else to do, all you had to do was watch Tiger King and normal people, and James still managed to like stubbornly avoid watching Tiger King. I think yeah. I watched normal people enough yeah. for at least ten other people, but uh, <laughs> uh, I watched that religiously. But um, yes, love normal people, but no, not not no just no, just no also hang on hang on you're in no position here you you're like you your watch list here of like landmark shows that you have on your list and you've gone full terry white because she was saying this last last week when she was on she was saying that she still refuses to watch these things in part just to spite me and uh, i can't help feeling that that's part of what you do as well. with that. yeah yeah i'm gonna get our kick somewhere by the way, James, when are you catching up with Petticle Soul? That's got to happen soon, for fuck's sake. When am I going to catch up on Petticle Soul? I, I do need to do it. It can be said. So I'm in this yes. difficult situation where Petticle Soul, clearly a brilliant show. Um, but I watched season one and was a bit bored. And so I didn't press on with it. And mm. I've kind of never really <laughs> gone back to it. But I know I need mm. to. And I kind of feel like this mm. is the time to. Um, so I will at some point, but I just feel like, because I found the first season a bit of a slog, it's not like it's naturally drawing me in when there's things like The Last Kingdom right. to watch or like another eight episodes of Vikings Valhalla. Do you know what I mean? Like there are lots of, there are lots of demands on my time, yeah. I'm going to tell you. Um, but yeah, it I does, do, it does I do get better and better. need to watch it. I, I found the first season a bit yeah. of a slog, yeah. I have to agree, to be honest, yeah. But it gets better and better. By the time you're into like season three, and it's, 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 it's fantastic, so... Yeah. But the same was Keep true, and people hate to say it, of Breaking Bad, wasn't it? Like Breaking yeah, Bad, right, when it started right. off, a lot yeah. happens in the first season, but there's something about it, it's quite dour at times, mm. and it's very downbeat. And obviously Albuquerque is this very sort of bleached, slightly depressing place. And so it's not welcoming. It's not until you really embrace the characters that you get really into that show. So yes, yeah. you're right. There's no excuse for not pressing on with this. I will 100% need to do it. Um, yeah, I will. I don't know when, but I will. It'll happen. <laughs> Fine. You got a month. Good. Okay. Shall we move on to this week's listener question? Uh, and this one comes from Scouts23, who says, what is the show you absolutely loved watching, but would never watch again? I genuinely, genuinely can't think of one. Like, because <laughs> I don't gravitate to the kind of, like, hard-hitting 
sort of bleak telly watching, I do tend to go for the short, sharp, funny, enriching, lifting, complete polar opposite of a lot of what James Watch kind of things. Like, <laughs> I do tend to go to stuff I can revisit. And I think there is something maybe about, I think there's something to be said that people that watch things for kind of familiarity like quite a lot and that's definitely something I mean I couldn't tell you how many times I've rewatched Gilmore Girls that is just that is just the best place to go for me when I've like had a hard day or I don't know I'm, I'm just very very drawn to things that do have that rewatchable quality to them I feel like the only things I have watched and will probably leave alone are things like devs which I really loved, but I don't need to go back to Devs. Devs no, was really fair. impactful and interesting, cleverly written and said a lot, but like, I'm done with Devs. And then maybe something like, as much as I loved it, it was one of my very favourite shows of the year before last was Adult Material. Something like that, where it's like, mm. eesh, powerful mm. performances, wonderfully written, looks amazing. Don't need to watch it again. Do not need to watch that again. Probably won't watch that again, but not to say that I didn't really admire it. But no, the majority of what I watch is completely rewatchable stuff, um, for better or worse. Maybe I need to stop being such a scaredy cat and maybe jump in and watch a bit more bleak and challenging stuff, but I'm all right, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Funny enough, I was thinking of rewatching Devs recently. I was thinking, oh, I might have to check it out because I loved it so much. Yeah. So I probably would rewatch Devs, actually. And because um, it's so visually like just spectacular that Absolutely i thought you know in it, even if you know the story and it, and it, and it is quite bleak in, in various times but i would quite like to watch all that again yeah so i might watch that again but my answer is i think i've said this before ages ago but it still holds true i'm not i'm a massive whovian i've watched i'm sure i've watched every single episode of doctor who i i i think i have since i was a kid so since john Pertwee was my first doctor you know when i was <laughs> five, six, seven, whatever. And since then, have progressively watched every single episode, as far as I'm aware. But I don't go back and rewatch any of it. I never have rewatched Doctor Who. And and I don't think I ever will. Like, it's not something that I feel I want. Whereas, you know, most Whovians, I think, are absolutely obsessively go back and rewatch stuff. I mean, there's loads of people I follow on Twitter, for example, that are in a, seem to be in a constant loop of rewatching Doctor Who. And I love them. And I love reading their, you know, they some people do reviews, lengthy reviews of their rewatch of Doctor Who, you know, and every, post some people post about it every day. Um, it's fantastic. But I myself feel absolutely no compunction to do that. And I think it's partly because that the new Who, I think is so much more in, the, in terms of the writing and production and all of that, so much more sophisticated that I feel like the dated element of, of you know, watching a 70s, you know, episode who would just really great with me, um, even though I'm happy to watch comedies that have dated a lot, but, you know, that's a different thing. And um, just everything about New Who, the, pe- the, the point we've reached now in the history of that show um, – Makes me feel like I just don't need to get into that whole into the whole and and my and my memory of watching them all is is, is lovely you know I love the fact that I've watched them all and I very strong things of all the different doctors but I don't need to check up on it and and re and go through that relive that whole aspect of my life so Doctor Who and the other one slightly similarly is Thirty Something and I Thirty Something it was a show that I loved in the eighties one of the absolute most legendary totally 80s show and it was the and back then when they were cinematic tv wasn't really a thing you know at all they were you know even in america most american big american dramas you know like dallas and dynasty were quite cheesy and they were very you know the lighting and the editing everything was a bit 
kind of tacky, really. Then, but 30-something came along, and it kind of looked great for its time, and it was very sophisticated in terms of the characters and the storytelling. And it was set in an ad agency. It had that, like, brickwork, you know, ad agency, and it was all really tre- felt really trendy. But I actually, <laughs> I did watch a bit of 30-something um, a couple of years ago, and it was excruciating. It was so kind of like de- unbelievably dated there's something about something that was trying to be sophisticated right at that moment in on in tv where production values were slowly and steadily getting better but 30 something was just on that cusp and it feels even more dated than something from like 40 years ago or whatever like batman you know the original batman in the 60s <laughs> you know which is like hilarious and all of that but 30 something feels unbelievably of its time so yeah that's a show i definitely wouldn't watch again it's interesting you say that about doctor who actually because for me, like, Star Trek is an odd one. Like, I love Star Trek, and I love the classic Star Trek. Not the original series, because it's rubbish. But uh, I love Next Generation, <laughs> and Voyager, and Deep Space Nine, and all that stuff. But, but what's interesting is because it is very of its era, not in terms of production value so much, although, yes, that too, but because in terms of the way it's formatted, because it is a space procedural, let's not mess about, it's a space procedural, and procedurals <laughs> are my kryptonite. So these Space Nine aside, like, sometimes... Like, I will rewatch them, but it's always when I'm doing other things. Like, I remember once I was building a load of Ikea furniture. So I was like, yeah, like mainlined Voyager while I was building all this. this Because I'm like, I know it very well and it's familiar and it's comforting. It's like a big warm hug. But I wouldn't sit down and binge it because there's not a lot of connective tissue, really. Like, it just feels... And I... Procedurals just... It sounds ridiculous given the amount of TV I watch, but I feel procedurals feel like a waste of life. Like watching them feels like it feels like you're treading water. It feels like you're on a tra- you're not going anywhere. There's no objective. There's no progression. There's no development. It's just pointless. Like it's just I can't stand them, and I like, I really struggle with that. And so even going back to stuff that I loved at the time, because TV has moved on so much, and we're now into this very serialized, you know, which is very much my thing. I find it slightly more difficult to access. Although I should say, I'm kind of misusing the word procedural here. I, of course, mean episodic television. I always say procedural. I mean, frankly, it is a fucking procedural if you actually look at the format of it a lot of the time. But I say procedural. What I actually mean is episodic television. I like serialised television. I don't like episodic television. It's just that most procedurals are traditionally episodic. Hence, I kind of conflate the two terms. Anyway, anyway, anyway. What I'm trying to say is, yes, I still watch Star Trek, but I don't don't watch it in the same way that I did. other kind of shows that I wouldn't revisit, stuff like Chernobyl, which was amazing, but I'll never watch again, because <laughs> fucking hell. Um, when They See Us, things like, even Big Little Lies, not because it's harrowing, although it is harrowing, but yeah. also it's because it's about a mystery, and I now know the mystery, and it's also harrowing, and I'm a bit like, uh, I'm done. Um, I don't think I could rewatch Lost. I know that sounds strange, I know a lot of people do rewatch Lost. I was thinking about Lost, yeah, yeah. I think it would, oh, I'd yeah, be no enraged way. all the way through it. <laughs> Yeah, because you'd be yeah. sitting there yeah. oh, thinking, never "You Lost. fuckers are making this shit up. This is nonsense." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and it is because it was all that was all about the event and the conversation and the mystery and what's going on. And yeah. it's like, yeah, they're all in limbo. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, it, it would lose a little bit of its appeal, I think, for me. But uh, yeah, it's spoiler things like that. Alert. But I will, I will not. Yeah, sorry for spoiling Lost for everyone. But I am. Um, yeah, I don't like to revisit. I don't like to watch traumatic things full stop. I certainly don't want to revisit the fucking things. So, uh, yes, I, I will generally avoid that kind of programming. Um, was one other question that I was going to touch on very, very briefly. And it's not like a question question, but uh, someone wrote in 
and they were saying that they are part of a fan community on Reddit for the after party, Beth. So you may well know these people, since I have no doubt you spend a lot of your spare time on the after party subreddit. But <laughs> I will now. <laughs> they were saying that they pretty much solved every single puzzle in the show oh, on wow. the subreddit these fans and like there are apparently there's a thousand plus odd of them now yeah. uh, and they all get on really well and they are little amateur sleuths and they were deconstructing the after party as it was airing I love uh, that. and what's quite interesting is apparently someone uh, shouted out to chris miller uh on twitter uh, I guess, uh, in the hopes of, of, of that they would have a look at this. And apparently he went on there and he came on and did an AMA with them on the <gasps> subreddit to talk oh. about it. This group of little collective wow. super sleuths, so uh, which is quite exciting. So, uh, and I think he did like uh, some post finale interviews they were saying, and he mentioned the subreddit in these interviews, yeah. uh, which I think is kind of cool. But so this is from uh, Hysteria Type on Reddit, who is a fan of this podcast. Uh, and they are also kind of spinning off from this information that they had given me was saying um you know do we visit subreddits of the shows we follow obviously we've established already that beth is embedded in the subreddit for the other party uh, uh but uh but but uh, you know sh and she was saying should more tv show creators engage with fans via reddit like chris did with them and what i thought was quite interesting about this is this was very much the case if you go back 20 odd years not with reddit obviously but tv without pity television without pity which was like an internet forum which was a huge thing the internet was in its infancy and people would talk about shows they would deconstruct shows you know everything from the west wing to lost sopranos everything and because the internet was in its infancy and it wasn't such a broad place really at the time i think showrunners and, and and writers and and people did interact with these people because famously aaron sorkin would get tangled up in television without pity and there's an episode of the west wing where josh takes on the quote-unquote pajama people on the internet and it was sorkin's kind of like knee-jerk reaction to the fact that he hated the fact that these people on this forum were like having a go at his show and calling him out for stuff and it drove him absolutely mad but i really like the fact that that site in its heyday and I, I must admit i didn't use it at the time but in its heyday it was massively influential like boy you must remember it yeah, I do remember it, but I didn't really get involved, I have to say. I didn't I used to get more involved in in if you really want to go, but I used to get involved in like particular people's forums on the internet. Like Kevin Smith's viewer skew um uh, forum, yes, I for example. That. I was very much involved in that. Absolutely, 100% and and would spend way too long talking to him and his fans about his stuff, you know. Um because he would get involved as well quite heavily. Um but yeah, not really the those. Uh, no, I, that that's kind of the only one that I really got got into. Yeah, it's interesting. I miss forums. Forums were great. We used to have an empire <laughs> yeah, forum. Yeah, loads of people on that. Oh wow! Oh, I bet. Yeah. 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 It was, it was so much fun. But the thing is, it was, it's interesting because there is a type of research that one does on the internet not dodgy research but that came out really badly there's a type of research you know on the internet. no it's not yeah. important i'm saying there's a type of research on the internet that what you would put i would put like you know plot point from lost and then i would include forum in the search term because i was looking for forum content mm. and as as forums now don't really exist as they've fallen away i do the same thing now but i put reddit at the end because i want yeah. to search reddit mm. um because you want the discussion and it might be information about video game it might be something about a plot point it's just 
something where you want like non-journalistic content. You want peer discussion of something. Uh, and I think forums were brilliant for that. And Reddit, I guess, scratches that itch in a centralized place now. But yeah, I love these little communities. I think it's fantastic that these passion points bring people together. Uh, and I think, you know, whether or not showrunners and filmmakers and stuff interact with these people directly on the forums or whether or not, as I 100% believe they do, they kind of lurk and just sort of read stuff without actually posting because you would, because it's a focus group. It's how you find stuff out. Um, yeah. I think they're very valuable and I'm, I'm a big fan. So, well, yeah. I mean, Chris Miller for one, he did some he, throughout Afterpay has been just like this wonderful additional gift to the show itself in that like every episode he's put these little behind the scene tweet threads um, that go out after, I think just after the episode has dropped on, on Apple with all sorts of fun little tidbits. Um, something I mentioned to Nick was in the musical episode, they didn't let Jamie Demetrio learn the choreography so that his character, Walt, who is constantly on the periphery, his joke is he's on the periphery of everything, but you see him in every frame trying to keep up with the choreography but can't do it and it's because he didn't know the choreography himself and I thought that was wonderful he drops little tidbits like that on there anyway but I I completely agree I mean I I said it with Yellow Jackets didn't I part of the thrill and part of the appeal with Yellow Jackets was going on a WhatsApp group with my friends afterwards and and you know really getting into the crux of what this is and what that is that you know delightful conversation I had with Kate Heron where she had her own theories and everyone's able to kind of help each other with these theories you know yeah. and, and the showrunners only know about half of them and, and you know the rest of them are they're as bamboozled as everyone is but it's 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 such a fun fun little additional layer to it it gives me mm-hmm. a bit more faith in this bloody thing called the internet every now and then when you stumble across a good a good community of people who are yeah theorizing and stuff was interesting though because like you know they're sure there are toxic fan bases but equally some of them are very warm and sort of welcoming and yeah. i think damon lindelof has actually said in the past that they would actually browse the lost sort of like forums and stuff looking at these fan theories and actually even end up working some of them into the show which in the nice way is blindingly obvious but you know uh but but yeah, I love that. I do think it's cool, and I think you know that crowdsourcing that idea stuff is quite is quite interesting. Well, I was going to say how I remember with Sherlock. Do you remember with Sherlock when um, mm. the, the the series finale when Sherlock jumps off the roof, um, you know, seemingly to his death, and that was then that became a massively discussed thing all over the internet. How how what was the explanation? How did it? And I remember how the creators of that show, like Mark Gates and Stephen Moffat, would would ended up you know, discussing all of those theories and reading all those theories. And then they kind of did incorporate that whole idea, that very meta idea of there being forums discussing the death of Sherlock as a phenomenon as if it was a real thing that he, that, you know what I mean? And, and then they yeah. kind of used that in an incredibly meta way in the first episode that then solved mm. the, how, he, how it happened. It was absolutely, it got extremely complicated and fun and fascinating at that point. It is fascinating. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. Uh, I like it. So there you go. Yes, we do. We do encourage this stuff. We're fans. Um, yeah. Well, okay. Well, if you would like a question hoarsely croaked out on the Pilot TV <laughs> podcast, uh, do feel free to send it to us on Instagram or Twitter at Pilot TV Pod, where Sophie will curate them and send them my way. Time now for the news. What would we like to talk about first? Uh, five words for you. Derry Girls Series 3 <laughs> trailer. <laughs> Woo! I haven't seen it. Is it really good? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it's, fantastic. It's yeah. just like, what, 30 seconds of everything that you love oh. from that show just condensed into one, like, 
it's like a being punched in the face in the best way. <laughs> it's like being punched in the face by your best friend. That's what the is that a good the, thing? I'm not sure. Series of it. It's just yeah. It's just a kind of look. We're back. Here we are. Here's all the jokes that you know and love. Here's all the characters you know and love. We're going to be saying goodbye. And and it's just yeah. I'm so excited. I don't think we've got a a, a date just yet, have we? It's just, it's very soon. It's coming very soon. Yeah, I think it's going to be Easterish, like mid-April. Yeah, I feel. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 They, very it looks great. Absolutely great trailer. Exactly what you want from a from a Dairy Girls trailer. Yeah, it looks fantastic. I'm not um, ready. I'm not trailers. ready for it to go. No. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Miss um, Marvel trailer. Yes, I'm really excited well. about this. This now this. This got a bit of I I don't know my comics, but I've heard it's it's different from comics in some ways. And would you believe some people have on the internet have got issues with the way it's different yeah. from the comics? But for someone who doesn't know the comics, this looks like a lot of fun and very sweet and exciting. And I'm really looking forward to it. I think um Iman Vellani, she looked very cool and capable and I like her kind of New Jersey brown girls can't be superheroes, but wait, she can be. That's going to be exciting. I'm all for an underdog. Uh, and it looks really vibrant and fun and, and meta and great. So, yeah, looking forward to that one. I think a lot of the, the discussion was around the fact that, of course, that character, Kamala Khan, is an inhuman. Uh, so, therefore, transformed by the Terrigen Mists, Beth. Right. Uh, but obviously, they've they've distanced themselves from Inhumans because there was an Inhumans TV series, not part of the MCU, which wasn't very good, and they get down very well. So, they haven't really introduced Inhumans into the MCU. So, it makes sense. So, it seems like she's getting her powers from kind of cosmic bands, uh, little bracelet things. Um, so, I guess people are unhappy with the sort of moving away from canon there. I must admit, I don't care particularly the other thing that they were on about is that her powers seem to be slightly different she seems to have she's got sort of mr fantastic powers in the comics where she gets big stretchy hands and does things like that whereas in this it seemed they're more again cosmic based powers and i wondered whether that was a lot of people saying well they're clearly changing her powers because mr fantastic is coming and they don't want to have overlap i was like that's quite a stretch no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> but, also, they just look cooler. It looks. Wor- I'd much rather see a big glowing cosmic fist right? than like, oh, yeah. I can stretch my arm. Yeah, I'm with you. And I wonder whether it's partly <laughs> budgetary because I feel like to do stretchy army effects well feels expensive and difficult in a way that cosmic powers maybe don't. Uh, and also it will look, as you say, a bit less shit, which I don't think is a bad thing. So I, I have no objection to this. A lot of people were saying also that it felt like it skewed quite young. I don't know that you can tell that so easily from a trailer. I think there might be some truth to it, though. Like it felt quite youth-friendly, but I think that's reflective of her, her age group. So... Also, I don't so have an objection what? to that. We've got so, we've got what Moon Knight, which is supposed to be the darkest Marvel <laughs> coming up. We've got we've got so much other stuff. Let the it's kids a have church. some fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. So I'm not passing judgment. I need to see it first. But I'm fascinated. Uh, you know, and we're going to see a lot more of that character in the future. So all good yeah. stuff. Um, speaking of good stuff. Uh, there was a little bit of uh, Strange New Worlds news I think you were excited about, Beth. Uh, Paul Wesley has been cast as Captain James Tiberius <laughs> Kirk in the upcoming Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which is good and bad, because on the on the one hand, hey, it's Kirk, and also it's Stefan from the Vampire Diaries. Come on, Beth, you must know the Vampire Diaries. I know of the Vampire Diaries. <laughs> I've never seen the Vampire Diaries. Have you not? See, now, people listening are saying, James, that's sexist. You're saying just because Beth's a girl means she's watched the Vampire Diaries. To which I would answer, fuck you. I've watched the whole first season of the Vampire Diaries <laughs> and at least half a second. So there is no judgment here whatsoever. Um, 
Yes. So, <laughs> uh, so he's going to be Kurt. But then this obviously means that, as we know, as you know, Beth, uh, Captain Pike meets a an unfortunate end canonically in this. And as we've seen in early Star Trek Discovery. So I will be upset if he ends up supplanting Anson Mount because I think Anson Mount is fucking brilliant. Uh, justice for Cullen Bohannon. Um, so, yeah, that was good. Okay. Right. <laughs> I still think I still think Strange New Worlds might be um, procedural, so I'm quite excited about that. Yeah, a lot of people agreed with you, actually, Boyd, that they think it will be, in which case mm. me and it may not get along at all, but we'll see. We'll yeah. see. We'll I'm see. not writing it off yet. We'll see. No, no. Uh, what else have we had? Uh, the flight attendant is returning in the US yes. next month. I don't know when we're getting it here, though, unfortunately. So uh, hopefully before too long. Um, I don't think it'll uh, be long. I think it'll be quite quick because that was a big hit on Sky, I think. Well, was, you yeah, think, so. but look at what we're talking about today, Boyd. So. Oh, I know, I know, I know. But I think but the <laughs> HBO stuff, HBO Max stuff seems to be different to yeah, right. to other stuff. But um, yeah. yeah. I, went, I went to a Netflix um, What's Next event last night. Um, a lavish yes. gathering. Yes. What did they show you? They showed, well, it was quite interesting. They showed um, quite a lot of Anatomy of a Scandal. Um, in terms of, it didn't show, yeah. well, they showed um, uh, footage. But... Um, they had a big Q&A about it, quite interesting Q&A. Um, and that show is looks very, very me, is all I'd say. Sienna Miller was there. Sienna Miller That's talked great, about yeah. yeah. So um, it's, it's going to be quite a um, full-on exploration of, you know, sexual scandal at the highest level of government. There's politics involved. It's basically about an MP who is alleged to have raped his um his kind of the woman he's been having an affair with. And um Sienna Miller is is this man's is this MP's wife. And it's like how does she deal with this fact? You know, what who does she believe? Does she believe this this woman is having an affair with or does he does she believe her husband? But it's very much kind of ramped up um, you know, kind of uh proper um, vaguely tawdry quality to it and Sienna Miller was talking about at the Q&A how it kind of you know she feels like she's been through in real life a lot of the trauma of dealing with this kind of stuff which was very interesting mm. for her to say she, there was a, almost the first thing she said in the Q&A was like yep I know this I know what this woman's been going through that kind of stuff and all that was really fascinating um, and uh, it looks great so yeah I can't wait for Anatomy of the Scandal and they they had clips of all kinds of loads of shows Heartstopper which is this um, gay romance between two teenage boys that's based on a very popular comic book uh, graphic yeah, novel I've heard of um, the yeah, there was a Q&A for that. The creator um, and producer and director were there. And that the clips they showed, that, that looks great. That's coming um, in late April. Um, they, there were little bits of Stranger Things they showed. Um, it was, but it, yeah, there, I mean, there's just a huge amount coming up, obviously, on the Netflix. The Netflix. Yeah, I was I was supposed to go to that, but I have been poorly buoyed, so I didn't make it. Um, yes. Yeah, other Netflix, you think? Related to Netflix, uh, obviously Daredevil we know is now on on uh, Disney Plus. It is my greatest ever there. But they are there's been discussion about a Daredevil reboot, presumably still with Charlie Cox in that role. But the, the, obviously the, those shows are kind of it, there was a whole discussion: are they canon? Are they not canon? They're a bit canon. They're kind of canon. Then it's like oh, they are canon because Charlie Cox was in Spider Man. Spoiler, but uh, <laughs> but now they're rebooting it with the same guy so actually it's almost not canon it's very confusing either way there's gonna be mm. more daredevil on disney plus and it will be canon i've said canon a lot yeah you've said well, having a lot, gone to a lot. the 
You have said canon a lot, yeah. Having been to the, um, I think it was the 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 world, the first world screening of the Spider-Man film where he pops up, you know, quite early on, and the reaction to him, I'm sure you were there, was a phenomenal. Like people were lost their, sh- people lost their shit, and I didn't know that the character was that popular and that he was that popular until that moment. And I thought, well, they've got to, they've got to, you know, capitalize on that because people clearly mm. love him. Um, so yeah, yeah, I agree. It totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, what else we had? We had a trailer for We Own This City, David Simon's new show, which obviously he has done other shows since The Wire, though I must admit I've never really engaged that well with The Deuce uh, or with Treme or anything like that. But this is very much back in Baltimore. It's got Jamie Hector and loads of Wire alumni in it. Uh, it's got John Berntal as a kind of uh, Vic Mackey-esque corrupt cop, but obviously it's based on real events in the Baltimore Police Department, the uh, Gun Trace Task Force. Um, it looks fucking great. It's got one Mimasako in it, who's always brilliant. Yeah. Um, I love her. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, I, I'm very excited to watch this one. What do you think of the trailer? Haven't seen it yet. It, it did look very, very exciting. It did look like, and I think actually David Simon doesn't seem to be um, kind of, he seems to be acknowledging the fact that everyone's going, this is the most wiry thing that you've done yeah. since the wire. And I think he seems to be embracing that, that, that yeah. thing. Um, I mean, it's created by him and George Pelicanos, who um, is, you know, is a key factor in his, in, in all his best right. stuff, I think. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I, it looks fantastic, I have to say. And um, that is April 25th on HBO. Interestingly, yeah. not HBO We Max. don't have a date for it on Sky, do we? N- no, but I think, it sh- again, I'm assuming it will be quite soon after because it's HBO Core, yeah. HBO, not HBO Max, which means it's usually quicker and faster and more straightforward in arriving yeah. in on the UK screens. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big one. That's a big one for me. Uh, also quite exciting news was that uh, Variety reporting that Alexandra Daddario uh, is going to be starring as Rowan Mayfair in Anne Rice's Lives of the Mayfair Witches, um, which is an interesting one. Like Alexandra Daddario has the most piercing blue eyes of any human being I've ever seen. <laughs> so I kind of thought, actually, she'd be better for the Vampire Chronicles because you wouldn't even need contact lenses. Like, she already looks like a vampire in a nice way, not in a bad way. She just has... I don't you mean that as an insult. You should say that on dates, incri- No, I'm you terrible. You look like a vampire. <laughs> you a look nice a lot way. like a vampire, but in a nice way. Um, she has incredibly piercing eyes. But uh, but yeah, she's going to be playing Rowan Mayfair, which is a good... It's a great role. It's an interesting book. It's a very long book. And there's a bit... Genuinely, this is absolutely true. The first of this trilogy, that Mayfair which is trilogy is called The Witching Hour and there is a bit in the middle where like so it's a really thick book and it's printed on like Bible paper like really thin paper because it's like a hundred billion pages that's an actual pagination and then in the middle of the book there's like a digression back in time where they look through like a history book and it's printed in even smaller text and I'm just like oh you're <laughs> fucking kidding me it's now ten minutes to get through a page I swear to god I was reading that book for like the first fifteen years of my life it was mental <laughs> nevertheless <laughs> it is good uh and it's got supernatural stuff, which is ghosty type things in it. Um, it's good shit. So I'm excited to see that. Uh, interesting bit of casting. And also White Lotus Star. So you're on board already, Beth. A hundred percent. Get Coolidge in as well. I want to see Coolidge <laughs> in The Witches. Yes. Mm. She will play Lasher, the evil spirit. Oh my God. Yes. Sold. Uh, what else we got? Anything else we want to talk about? I was going to say, talk, I mentioned Jack Thorne's new thing that's on um, this week. Uh, but he, they announced another big Jack Thorne project this week. I don't know if you saw, um, with Michael Sheen and Sharon Horgan going to star in this thing called that he's written called Best Interests, in which they play a married couple who have two daughters, um, one of whom has a life-threatening condition. And it's about how the doctors advise them that it's in their best interest to allow her to die. But And, and that kind of absolute 
you know, kind of hardcore quandary um, and dilemma and the fact that it's Jack Thorne and the fact that it's Michael Sheen and Sharon Horgan seems to be, uh, and it's a four-parter, seems to be, for BBC One, seems to be um, a thing that we'll definitely have to pay attention to. Good, good, good. Do you, are you either of you John Hughes fans? Did you see the 16 slash 15 Candles news? I did, no. but then have forgotten it. Selena Gomez is developing uh, a 16 Candles series, but it's called... 15 candles. I don't know if that's to indicate that people are being kind of like right. growing up faster. I don't know what that means. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's being developed for Peacock. So there you go. There was a Time Traveller's Wife um, uh, trailer. That looked good. Oh, I didn't Stephen see Moffat's that. version of The Time Traveller's Wife. Yeah, it looks good. It looks good. That's oh, all interesting. I, I haven't I seen that. Yeah. There's also a Gaslit trailer, uh, which is a lot Watergate-related with Julia Roberts, which looked quite interesting. Um, mm. But okay, mm. I'm bored of news, and my voice is rapidly going out the window. So let us move on to this week's reviews. First up this week, we have The Return of Bridgerton, Netflix's unlikely hit, which mashed the posh melodrama of Downton Abbey with the steamy sex of your average porn film to captivate audiences when season one aired back in 2020 well the Bridgertons are back uh, as is Penelope Featherington's and that's a fantastic name Penelope Featherington's poison pen um, Boydie are we pleased to have the saucy socialites back or is this second outing a Bridgerton too far <laughs> very good uh, I, I I welcome it with open arms yes um, and it's interesting because Bridgerton, so the first series arrived on Christmas Day, uh, year before last, and there was definitely like a kind of, um, they Netflix put up a sense of anticipation for it, but I think even they, I'm sure, were shocked, and Shonda, it's a Shonda Rhimes production, um, although she's not that involved creatively, um, and uh, it's run by Chris Van Dusen, he's the showrunner, and kind of, he adapted the books, but it definitely well, became a massive phenomenon very quickly and I think I'm sure I think everyone was quite surprised the extent to which I mean Reggie John Page was turned into a massive star overnight and he's now everyone's like thinking he's going to be James Bond and you know this that and the other and he's not and in it, it. Was, he's not in it yeah so <laughs> but that follows the trajectory so as far as I understand it the books the original books by Julia Quinn which um, follow have a different kind of lead character in each book. So in the in the first book of the series, the Regé Jean Page character was the lead, and it was all about him finding love and how is he, you know, which which who's he going to pick to be his wife, and then their kind of interesting sexual relationship and all of that. And he and it was completely focused on him. And then the second series, the focus is now on Jonathan Bailey's character, um, and um, uh, who is Viscount Anthony Viscount Bridgerton and his his family, his brothers and sisters and mother particularly. Um, and no wonder Regis Jean Page felt he just had to kind of like drop out completely because the focus isn't on him at all. So he would have had to yeah. become a side character, supporting character. As it is, we're left in the slightly clunky world where he's mentioned <laughs> Regis Jean Page's <laughs> character and he's, but he's off stage throughout. And there are some quite funny times where, you know, his wife arrives and she's like, oh, how's everything going? Yeah, we've got a baby, it's all fine. But... He's never, never going to see him again. So it's slightly odd. Um, but what's interesting to me about this new series is not only that it shifts focus completely to Jonathan Bailey's character, at the same time, there's a lot of, there's also quite a kind of lot of focus. I would say the second major plot is Nicola Coughlin's character, who was revealed to be the writer of the newsletters that cover in a very kind of entertaining, soapy way the goings on yeah. among all these people. And she is the one who creates it. She was revealed at the end of the yeah. previous season. Spoiler alert. Regency Gossip Girl, isn't it? Essentially, <laughs> Regency Gossip Girl, exactly. Um, so there's a lot. 
lot of stuff about her keeping that secret. And that is, I think that is one of the most entertaining elements of the new series that now we know it's her, but she's got to kind of, she's got the kind of this constant, you know, attempt to kind of make sure that her own best friend and her family don't find out that it's her that's producing this thing. And that's entertaining and fun. But definitely the focus being on uh, Jonathan Bailey's character. What's, what was fascinating, what I was about to say was, that the first series, really, it was this kind of intoxicating mix of lavish period drama, beautifully shot and ex- massive sets, you know, and um, fascinating, fun characters, but loads of nudity and sex. That was definitely its USP was, right, we're going to take the Downton, you know, we're going to take Downton Abbey, let's face it, and that kind of thing, and we're going to sex it up massively, and it became a phenomenon. Now, I feel the weirdest thing about the new series is they've, they've completely cut back on the gratuitous nudity and sex. Now, I'm only halfway through, so I'm halfway through the series, four episodes in, but so far... Apart from, like, um, you know, Jonathan Bailey getting his ass out, which he does he in does, uh, yes. episode one, um, but there's very, very little. It's chased. It's positively chased. And and the storyline is him, you know, he he's clearly kind of going to fall in love with one um, new sister character who arrives in this, and whereas and, and her younger sister is the one that, they, he, that everyone wants him to be paired off with. But, of course, his real feelings are for the older sister character. And that's kind of an interesting kind of subplot. But... It's definitely lacking in the raunch. And I feel, I have to say, that it's a mistake. And I don't quite understand. And it could be that it's, that it's, fidelity, it's, it's fidelity to the book. And maybe the book, you know, it just so happens that the interesting sexual plots of the first uh, series, of the first book of the first series, just isn't replicated this time around in this storyline. Maybe it'll get raunchier as it goes on. But I've got, I, I did speak to a few people at the Netflix event too last night who were saying not massively. It's definitely... And ev- people I spoke to are like, am I the only one, you know, <laughs> who's like, it's definitely noticeably less full of sex and nudity. And I'm like, no, 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 yeah, it's true. So that's a very interesting creative decision. And I feel it's slightly dampens down so to speak the um the particular thrill of this show having said that it's still completely entertaining fun frothy there are moments where it, it, it gets silly like it's, there's a whole episode which is dealing with the fact that um jonathan bailey's dad died of a bee sting and and there's a whole kind of episode i think it's episode two or three that goes into this in great detail and it's borderline funny it, it you know unintentionally funny and reminded me of the julia davis spoof period drama hunderby i don't know if you ever watched hunderby which had loads of really funny takes on period dramas like this and every now and then it gets so ridiculous particularly in that episode with the bee stick storyline where i was like this is julia davis hunderby she could be doing this this storyline right now but i find it very entertaining and enjoyable and breezy but what has happened to the gratuitous nudity in sex? <laughs> I think you've become too conditioned to euphoria, Boyd, as yeah. what's happened yeah, here. Maybe. Boyd's like, the peen count is astonishingly yeah. low. I am yeah. outraged. Absolutely furious. Yeah. <laughs> um, Basically. I have questions. Um, Go on. I don't really know what's happening. Like, I picked it up as I went along. I must admit, so I was, I was, I thought I should be texting Boyd all the way through this. Like, I was, po- I was promised pornographic entertainment, mm. and it wasn't here. But also, like, it sounds silly, 
because I'm a massive Downton fan, but there's something about Downton which is missing here. It doesn't have that that sort of like crack quality that Downton has. And I don't know whether it's the upstairs downstairs thing, but even if you just look at the Crawleys, like there's something about the Crawleys where they're very rounded, they're very interesting. The character interactions are fascinating in a way that the character interactions here maybe feel a little bit more generic to me. And look, I love the fact that they've got Nirvana's Stay Away on cellos and violins. It's lovely. I love the material girl in the first mm. episode gets a nice little period cover and that's nice and, I, and like they've got the posh frippery but there's something about it that's not quite as engaging and I couldn't love it and for someone who does genuinely love Downton Abbey I felt a bit disappointed that said all of that said the first episode which is 70 fucking minutes long <laughs> I can't emphasize that enough yeah by the end of it, I was quite invested. And I was a bit like, I actually quite want to know what happens. And the thing with the sisters, I was like, is he, he going to end up with the older sister and the younger sister? I was going to happen. Uh, and, you know, the queen who seems led by the nose by Nicola Coughlin's character. And I love the fact that she just puts on a coat and drops an Irish accent. And somehow she's then invisible to the printer who's making up her little gossip pamphlet. Uh, I also love the fact that her name is Penelope Featherington, which is delightful um but i don't think i'm gonna watch any more of this i gotta be honest i'm mm. sorry interesting i mean the 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 70 minute runtime you know you know how i feel <laughs> and you know how i felt but that did happen um yeah i am i am largely in agreement with everything here it really started with uh these these big beautiful set pieces it really dove straight back into the world very very quickly as if this kind of like hurried reminder even though it has only been has it been a year has it been two years a year since the first two, since 2020 i think the first uh, one was but it was the end of 2020 so it's like a year and yeah, a half. yeah yeah months, so it's yeah. like they're kind of rushing you quickly into the world again to sort of get you established very quickly um i really like jonathan bailey he's he's a pretty good pretty good stand-in for the for the first season but i don't i probably i am gonna see more of this because i feel that just because i'm not as invested right now doesn't mean that i won't be after a few more episodes um i did really like the use of sex and nudity in the first season because it felt empowering whereas with euphoria it was used to kind of shock and titillate this actually felt like quite a nice message to a younger audience as to how to kind of voice your desires and kind of normalize what it's like to be a a young woman having sex and i mean as you can do within this like lavish setting but the the messages around sexuality were very modern and so to take that away from this feels like a shame but I will keep going just just because I feel like I owe it to my relationship with the first season to think if we to to sort of see if we can get back into our stride there a little bit. And I love Nicola Cochran so much. Yeah. I love her so much. She's definitely been. I mean, I loved her in Dairy Girls anyway, but it was nice to see her break out and do something other than be the tiny wee lesbian. Um, and the <laughs> fact that she gets this whole other part that she gets to embody as the kind of regency gossip girl as well she's not just this kind of blushing you know rising up through the ranks type young lady she's got she's got claws which i which i really like and i i really want to see where she goes from that but yeah it's it's taking me a minute to invest um it wasn't the punch that i i need to stop talking about getting punched i don't i don't want to be punched it it lacked it lacked the punch that i needed for that opening episode i needed i needed excitement and this feels like it's it's sort of still blushing and you know all the flash of an ankle kind of thing i need raunch i need Mm. you know 
more scandal. You can't put the peen back in the bottle. I feel like, you know, once you've... That's an odd metaphor. Uh, but, you know, I feel like if you've gone full sex, sex ahoy, yeah. like full carry on in season one, you can't go, oh, look at the shape of that woman's... Oh, that woman isn't riding side straddles. She's astride a horse. Oh, my... my Fetch me my, my salts so I can... I, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. It's like, what's going yeah. on? You can't, you can't dial it back. Yeah. Whereas like, you know, I think Downton was at least fucking consistent. Yeah. Um, also, yeah. Lord Anthony Bridgerton is a raging bellend. Uh, and I struggled a bit with that. He is. <laughs> but you're right. He is He is a massive bellend. Um, but Johnny Bailey, as I'm calling him, uh, does a great job with that. Because I think he he makes him entertainingly twattish, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's so true. I, that I, I true. enjoy mm. I enjoy his bellendery. Um, <laughs> and I think that's very, I think that's kind of skillfully handled, particularly he, he is really good. He's very, cause he's, you know, he's, he's incredibly charming as in, you know, an actor, his presence, but he does completely go for his twattery. Um, and I think that's, that works, that works for me. And I, I, I think Simone Ashley is Kate, the older sister that he, the, the side saddle rider, as you say, um, is great as well. So, and of course, Cock- Nicola Cockney is phenomenal. I mean, she is yep. absolutely brilliant. So, but it's just so weird, isn't it? I need, I, I, that, that, Creative decision to cut back on the sex nudity is massively misguided. Yeah. What the fuck when it was were they so thinking? successful? Yeah, like, why would you mess and with I, the formula? Hundred percent. I, I cannot get over that decision. It's really odd. It's absolutely fascinating. And it, yeah, yeah. And, I, and, I, and I look forward to finding out why. <laughs> it's and there may be like perfectly good, you know, as I say, narrative and and um, you know, creative reasons for it. You know, they're like, well, we don't, you know, we want to show the shows about character and you know the wit and but. Uh, but that was they can't as you say once you've done it in one series it would be like euphoria to take the euphoria comparison Beth it would be like well cut out all the all the gratuitous penis action and 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 nudity and they ramped it up of course to 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 you know in in variously questionable ways but it's gone completely the other way and that is odd yeah To, to do a reverse on it is weird yes yes I agree well, if you're looking for a show that is all corsets and no nookie, then Bridgerton <laughs> arrives on Netflix on the 25th of March. Next up this week, we have Pachinko, Apple series based on the novel by Min Jin Lee, which charts the fortunes of a Korean immigrant family across four generations and three separate languages. Isn't that right, Beth? It is. It is. I have not read the book. Um, I was really excited to watch this though, partly because I just feel like Apple are going from strength to strength with their telly. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm just, yeah, every week, it feels like every week something big and bold and beautifully made is coming out from them. And I'm enjoying a lot of it so far. I've even come around to Severance. You know, I wasn't sold when that came out. I'm actually getting more and more invested mm. in that. Uh, maybe want to get into more next week. Uh, but no, I was very excited about this. It's co-directed by uh, Koganade. He did an amazing little film called Columbus, which I recommend if you haven't seen it. And he's also directed a film coming out later this year called After Yang. Um, so he's predominantly film, but has come on board to, um, yeah, tell this exquisite multi-generational uh, story with a great cast. There's someone called uh, Jing Ha in this, who is, funnily enough, in Devs, uh, and he was in Love Life, the Anna Kendrick show as well, um, who I really love. And um, we've also got Yoon Yeo Jung, who, of course, was in Minari, won the Oscar last year. So a really, really wonderful, talented group of people telling this intergenerational story. I am... 
generally getting a bit tired of all the multi-timeline stuff, the sort of ping-ponging back between different storylines, apart from the exception of things like Yellow Jackets, which my eyes could do no wrong. Anyway, this huh. is a really nice example where this actually worked. So it does toggle between different timelines. It begins with the um, colonization of Korea by the Japanese um, and this small kind of underdog family, um, a beautiful little girl and her father, who she loves very much, and her mother, who she loves very much as well, but she's very much like a, a father's girl. And her witnessing as a little girl this this takeover by the Japanese and, and all the cruelties and... Um, atrocities that happen as a result of that and then we come to the 1980s which is where Jin has character Solomon is uh, brokering a really big deal that I'll be honest I don't really understand it's a significant <laughs> business deal he's got to go home as part of this this deal that he wants to so he lives in in America but he, he wants to kind of rise up through the ranks and so he has to go home for this so we're predominantly seeing it through those two timelines for now and then it branches off into a third at the end of the first episode. I've just watched one so far for this. Uh but I am I am very on board. I think the key with this is it gets its message across without going too much into the depths of suffering. I think it's very easy to go kind of relentlessly to the end of the spectrum where you see a lot of violence and a lot of hardships. But what it really takes pains to centralize is love and familial love and fatherly love and to really hang on to that through this kind of horizon of great change and upsets um it looks absolutely stunning like i cannot stress how beautifully made this show is it has got an incredible i don't want to ruin it for people but it has got i will say a title sequence that rivals peacemaker which is big mm. chat but I really fucking love it, especially given the nature of this show. The title sequence is is just a minute or so of real joy. Um, it's really, really, really lovely. And I also want to raise um, a point about the subtitles in this, which are, from what I can see, hard-grained into the show. And they're different colours. So you've got one colour for Korean, another yeah. colour for Japanese, but not just, oh, there's a Japanese person talking, there's a, there's a Korean person talking. In the 1980s, they actually show within the subtitles which words originate from Korea and which words originate from Japan. I personally haven't seen that before, and I think that is astonishing and really raises the bar in terms of what subtitles can do in terms of storytelling. I'm not talking about John Wick, bombastic, wild <laughs> subtitles that like crash across the screen and look like word art, but like these, these, these subtitles that seem to tell a story all of their own. And I think that's just so indicative about mm -hmm. what this show is doing in terms of showing where these different identities come from, how the generations, um, vary and why and and yeah i had i had a lot of time for the show i'm gonna watch every single one of them yeah it's astonishing how the title sequences have arrived in the same week yeah. of, of this a peacemaker and how they have the same idea i mean that is unbelievable yeah. and it's particularly weird isn't it that this show because with peacemaker oh yeah you know it, it, it totally kind of makes sense that they've gone for that wacky idea um, because, you know, the whole tone of that show is, which we'll get to. But yeah. this show, 
It's complete. I think it's an absolutely maverick creative decision. Yeah. The title sequence. It feels totally out of kilter with the whole tone of the yeah. show. But I love it. I love the boldness of that. The B word, bold. Um, but I agree with you. I think it's. I think actually, because I, I was reading that the original book is chronological. It does not toggle between the timelines at all. Apparently, um, and it's very straightforward, epic narrative told in told in chronological order this is another yet of course it's yet another example of the fact that peak tv prestige tv drama has to have timelines and jump around but do you know what i actually think it works i think it, i think it completely makes sense in this case because as you're watching as you say the moments of suffering and um the 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 the, the moments where Particularly the youngest um, incarnation of the main character Sun Ya, um, played by John Yoo Na in the, in this in the kind of first episode when she's a little kid, and she is phenomenal. Mm. That that little actress, she is in her eyes are like so. There's so much going on <gasps> in her eyes when she's yeah. you know witness to this stuff that's happening is is incredible. So. And then when it cuts to the older grandmother of the same version of the same character, um, as you as you say, played by Yon Yu Jung, it's really moving. I think it makes it. I think I think that that interaction between the timelines, between the older version of characters and the younger version, works really really well in this particular case. So, and I've read, I've, I did read one review um, by someone who read the book who said it ruined it for them because it feels like. It, and I, I can see what they mean. It slightly feels like. The producers felt they need to keep the modern 80s storyline in there so that we don't get, I don't know, distracted or bored by the period storyline. But I, I don't feel that way at all. I can see that, that that would make sense. But it feels organic to me mm. that you're watching older characters reflecting on what happened in, to their younger selves. And that it does, it gives, it, 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 I think it adds to the, to the whole drama of the piece and the emotion of the piece. And it is stunningly beautiful, isn't it? Like there's a shot at the end of the first episode in that kind of fish market place. <sighs> Which is yeah. just spectacular. Yeah. Um, it really is. It's like this is as well shot and framed and everything as the you know as a as a beautiful film um, would be. It, so from that point of view, and, and I agree. I think it, I I definitely want to carry on watching it. Yeah, I I think it's when people read a book and you get uh, attached to a source material and then people deviate from it in the way they present the story. It can just be deeply upsetting, as we mentioned with Ms. Marvel. Um, but I think for those of us going into this fresh and seeing this, you know, anew, like. There's nothing about this not to love. Like, it just looks stunning on every single level. Like, it's technically brilliant. And as you both mentioned, the title sequence is fucking mental, but in the best possible way. I loved it. Uh, it's a beautiful... It's a weird double bill, this and Peacemaker, I've got to be honest with you. And yet the yeah. connective tissue makes it yeah. extra surreal. Um, but there's something about this in that it's the generational... And I think the thing that I got from this is the weight of past on present like the weight of trauma the way people carry their past with them and how it shapes who they are as people and i think that's that kind of long-term cause and effect is kind of into the dna of the show it's thread all the way through it but it's good and bad because this is a show of like deep sadness and great joy like it's all of these things is the whole human experience in this one little story uh and it's it's beautifully told uh at a period of history and global politics that frankly i'm not overly familiar with as well um 
And I think the blending of cultures and the blending of identities, which is kind of core to this story, is, as Beth, as you said, like, it's beautifully done with those subtitles. And there's a bit where two Japanese sort of law enforcement officers are, you know, they're switching from Korean to Japanese as they're having this conversation. And it's so easy. I don't know why no one does that, because normally it would just be like square brackets in Korean. Do you know what I mean? Whereas in this, it was just like, they just shift the palette from yellow to blue. And you instantly know what they're doing. At no point do they explain that's what they're doing, but you just know that's what they're doing. Uh, which I think is great. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 magnificent. It's a, it's a glorious piece of television. It's not what I would call happy-go-lucky, you know, <laughs> sit down and chill out for an hour kind of television. It's pretty fucking heavy, um, but it's heavy in a good way, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And if you want to see people dancing in a pachinko parlor, then it's got that too. <laughs> it feels like an old-fashioned epic sweep saga, TV yeah. saga, you know, back in the day to like Roots, you know, or something mm-hmm. like that. It really has that kind of, you know, we're going to te- tell a story across generations and it's it's fantastically absorbing and and well made from that point of view. Yeah, yeah it, it it is stirring stuff. Uh, Pachinko then drops on Apple TV Plus on the 25th of March. Right, last but by no means least, we have Peacemaker, the show that we long wondered if we were ever going to see on these shorts. And yet here we are. The Eagly has landed, if you will. Uh, <laughs> this does, of course, continue the adventures of John Cena's Peacemaker, who made his debut in James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Was he a character crying out for his own series? No. No, he was not. Is this series genius regardless? Boyd, tell us. <laughs> um, kind of. Yeah, it is kind of. Um, I mean, it literally picks up from where we left off with the character in The Suicide Squad. Um the last year's film version of Suicide Squad, James Gunn's version. And um, and apart from the title sequence, which is absolutely hilarious and brilliant. Yeah, to, where they're all dancing around to Do You Want to Taste It by Wigwam, um, uh, including the the pet eagle thing. The eagle, yeah. yeah. The eagle um, is genius. That is undoubtedly genius and phenomenal. All I'd say is I find James Gunn, like... Small doses, like you can take his shtick, if you like, in small doses. Like I really like Guardian of the Galaxy, the first film. The second film, I got slightly irritated by it, and I really liked the Suicide Squad for about an hour, and then I got irritated by it. I think you know, like the second half of that film, and with this show, almost in the first episode, which I've only seen the first episode, halfway through, I'm like, I'm already starting to get irritated again. <laughs> it's such a he has such a relentlessly, what's the word, almost smug. On a negative side, if you regard it negatively, smug, or if you've got it positively, brilliantly playful, wryly funny, sarcastic, constantly kind of taking the piss. Everyone's taking the piss out of everyone else. Everyone speak. Every single character has their shtick, has a kind of speaks in the James Gunn shtick. You know that criticism everyone, I think, misguidedly has, you know, about Aaron Sorkin, which is that they all speak Sorkinese. Sorkinese, yes. I think they the, these characters are all speaking in James Gunnese. I really do. And I think that is a flaw. They're all like Riley being funny with each other and taking the piss out of each other, no matter who they are or what their background is mm. or what role they have, you know, in this gang of characters. On the And yet it is really witty and he's, you know, and some of the dialogue is brilliant. And I think that a lot of the characters are really interesting and funny slash likable. And, and um, John Senna himself is brilliantly charming. He's a delight. And he's the only character you can imagine who spends practically the entire time walking around his pants and it's fine. <laughs> you know, it's like he makes that absolutely makes sense. It's absolutely fine. There's a very entertaining fight sequence at the end of this thing, which is 
brilliantly done and our whole thing is like having a film you know like eight, each week having an eight part spectacular epic film because the production values are yeah. more or less as you'd expect from a james gunn film you know slightly dialed down but but generally more or less the the vfx is astonishing so but yeah i do still find him slightly irritating find the whole thing slightly irritating there are just moments where i feel like just dial it down a bit let's there are little little kind of windows into sincerity and, <laughs> and making you care you know there's like there's you know but sometimes not enough for me so i'm slightly uh i'm not 100 percent on board i would say but i think it's incredibly exciting and entertaining that he's doing it and that you know james gunn is giving us an eight an eight part tv series about this character with all these different characters and in the dc universe and all that but sometimes i think it's just dial it down a bit i mean yeah i will agree with boy that he <sighs> He does stray too far. There are some real moments in the first few episodes where I'm like, you absolutely, under no circumstances, needed to go that far. Like, you could have said that with an iota of the the message that is that is punching me in the face right now. I'm going back to the punching analogy. Mm. I'm in a I'm in a head up kind of mood today. Um, that said. He's one of those creators where, like, if I don't always get along with him, goddamn, do I respect him? Like, yeah. the authority that he has and the 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 way that he's able to push those boundaries and the way that Warner Brothers just like lets him. Like, there really is no end to what he's allowed to do, and I think it is because people are so invested in his voice um so that kind of fascinates me i'm kind of morbidly fascinated with james gunn i think is is my way he is funny and i do like that there is you know just when you think you're going to write this off as like this really crass awful like show about blowing people up and whatnot there is like a real kind of heart that comes through every now and then um so i think fair play to him basically when it comes to james gunn and then john cena I can't fault the man. I really think he is such a charismatic puppy dog who doesn't know his own strength. It's kind of his whole thing. But he works so well with what he's got. I was thinking of um, Bumblebee when I was watching this, you know, the kind of the Transformers spin-off, the Transformers origin story that absolutely no one needed and yet really worked. And a really large part of that was having John Cena in there. Um, to work with that material i always laugh he's he's very very funny he's got really strong comedic timing um i think this was such a good pairing this is such a good character for him i know the first 10 seconds of the title sequence um <laughs> pretty well at this stage i'm going to a wedding this weekend and i am hoping to get a few people involved with that on the dance floor um yeah, I'm fascinated by it. I'm mostly entertained. It goes a little bit too fast sometimes. One thing I am interested by, though, is how many people are going to actually watch this. I would be so interested mm. to know if Sky are going to release the viewing figures on this because I feel like a lot of people will have pirated the show at this stage. <laughs> so I do hope that people do kind of have held on, have um, watched this through the, the proper channels. But because of the way that this whole release strategy has gone mm. i do actually want that's not saying that i want no one to watch this but because of the delay of what three months now between the two the two release dates the us and the uk i do wonder how many people are actually going to be watching this on sky um it's going to be an interesting one really interesting one because much as i like to think that hacks 
is the peacemaker of a comedy, <laughs> I do think people would be less inclined to pirate that. Um, I could be wrong. But yeah, I'm I'm interested to see what the viewing figures would be on this here. Yeah, I know what you mean. I didn't like the Suicide Squad particularly. Um, I didn't particularly like this character. And I wasn't as bothered about watching this. And yet... <laughs> I fucking love this. I think it's brilliant. And my sense of humour is does not, you know, I don't like crash humour. And yet something about this is just effortlessly charming. And I think that the writing is very tight. Like the gag rate is prodigious. It's just gag, 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 gag. And loads of them land. And I think Cena himself just plays it so brilliantly straight, so incredibly deadpan. And he's so, he throws himself. And this why Cena is such a great comedic actor, because he is aware of his own absurdity and he leans into it. And he did it brilliantly in Trainwreck. Uh, and he does it fantastically here. And I do think he's, he's fantastic at this. In the same way, I think that Dave Bautista is as well. I think both of them really, really get that they're absurd and yeah. love it. And the thing about this is like, and I got what you're saying, it's like there is more, there is more like genitals on display in this than there is in fucking Bridgerton. Like it's <laughs> mad and it's filthy and it's absurd and it's stupid and it's ridiculous, <laughs> but it's so lovable in all of those ways in a way that so many things aren't because so many things try and hit those notes and just don't manage. Like eagerly yeah. fucking hilarious. I oh think Freddie Stromer, who plays Vigilante, again, just ridiculous, but brilliant. And some of the stuff in it like it goes to some pretty extreme dark places it does yeah, yeah, yeah. but somehow manages to walk the line and i don't know quite why because this is so not my kind of show and it's not my kind of humor and yeah i'm giggling along to it and i'm really <laughs> enjoying it and i'm watching all of it and i just yeah. i really really like it and i think it's testament to everyone involved that not only did they manage to make a tv show out of this completely forgettable character that you didn't need a tv show out of, but they made it fucking great and yeah and i think that title sequence is just setting out his store he's like okay this is just stupid but go with us and yeah. the genius of that title sequence the genius of it is not the choreography it's not that they're dancing it's that not a one of them smiles at any point during it they are all ashen faced deadly serious all the way through this routine even at the end when they do the little ta-da and the eagle comes out and flaps its wings and they're all just deadly serious and i'm like and that is genius and that is the show's genius yeah um and i love it i love it so much i don't even know what to tell you <laughs> I think we first found our first pilot TV TikTok. Oh God, <laughs> yeah. yes, it's it's amazing. I love it. I'm a, I'm a big fan. So Peacemaker then, which finally finally comes to UK screens on Sky Max and now from Tuesday the 22nd of March. Three months too late, but still, but still. So my pick of the week, I gotta be honest, is Peacemaker. <laughs> what is I yours liked a lot but i'm going with, with pachinko because i feel okay, like yeah. Peace, peacemaker's got its audience it's got everything it needs it's gonna be fine i want to champion pachinko here yeah i'm going pachinko as well yeah too few Same eagles week. i'm saying but, you know, <laughs> other than that right so that is it then for this week's slightly croaky show uh if you enjoyed it or indeed could hear anything i've been saying then do feel free to reward us with a glowing review on apple podcasts and rate us on spotify and if you don't already then i strongly encourage you to like us on facebook and follow us on twitter and instagram at pilot tv pod as that's where you'll find such unimaginable delights as video from these very broadcasts uh recommendations of the week's must-see shows and all manner of other assorted goodies 
And speaking of goodies, you can find us individually at James C. Dyer, at Boyd Hilton, and at Beth K. Webb. Uh, next week, we'll finally be exposed to yet another long-awaited arrival, as we already mentioned, <laughs> because Hacks finally makes its way to these shores. Um, and we should also be reviewing Marvel's Moon Knight, but we'll have to see about the embargo for that one, because we quite possibly won't be allowed to. But bear with us, we'll find out. Uh, if we don't, don't worry, because there'll be a dedicated spoiler special over on the Empire Spoiler Specials channel, which you can find over at empireonline.com slash spoiler specials. Now, if you excuse me, I need to rest my ailing vocal cords, possibly by gargling Guinness. That is yet to be determined. But I also have to go and do an interview, which I gotta be honest, it's gonna be quite funny. So I don't know quite how that's gonna go, but we'll find out. Um, but hopefully I'll be back to talking bollocks with full force next week, as will Beth, as will Boyd. Beth will have recovered from the cove, I'll have recovered from this, and Boyd would have recovered from the disappointment of the lack of peen in Bridgerton. We should probably end the podcast now. <laughs> Bye, what James. What a brilliant ending. Bye now. <laughs>